0: Uh, we're excited to talk about this topic, and uh, we were able to talk about it at REACH, and mainly it was the culmination of, you know, really just hearing the cries of the singles, and uh, we did it about three years ago in Orange County, developed sort of a three-week series, and I thought, you know, we needed to hit this again, so three years ago we or, uh, we did it again and, and developed it into a six-week series, and so we're going to try to cover a lot of ground tonight, because I'm not going to come back here for the next six weeks, and I don't think you want to take a subway or a bus or train or boat or however you got here for the next six weeks. So if you don't mind, we're just going to try to cover as much ground as possible. We'll take a little song break, bathroom break, whatever, in a couple times tonight. And so we're just going to sort of log some miles together. Does that make sense? Uh, we're going to talk about dating redefined. And uh, our introduction here is called Building Wisely. Sound good? Um, let me see here. Romans twelve two says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right. So whatever it's supposed to look like, dating God's way. It's going to be different than what the world says it is. So that's the reason why we have to redefine it, is because we have come out of the world into God's presence. And so whatever definition the world has, if you can erase it, erase it. I mean, I even have people that don't even like the word date. All right, don't call it dating. Let's just hang out or whatever. That's what these people are doing. They're on a date. They're hanging out. They're barely interacting. They're on their phones like many of you. Uh, and so, what is it to do this thing God's way? We get to define it. This is a, the message version of Romans twelve two. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed From the inside out that word actually that says but be transformed is the same word that it says uh, jesus was transformed before their sight remember when jesus changed and became a a sort of a different being in front of them on the mount of transfiguration even jesus was transformed so when we come into god's presence and when we think of dating and marriage and, and pursuing somebody in a romantic way We have to totally transform and literally lift off this earth and do it very, very differently than maybe the way that we have come to understand what dating. And you know what? It's going to look weird to people. It's going to look weird. Uh, I have a story uh, about my friend Mike. And uh, Mike liked a girl at his work. (gasps) And she was a sister in our church. Which is awesome. That's a great way to evangelize and help people become Christians. Because that should not be a rare thing and we should not be freaked out by that. If you're a disciple, a son or daughter of God, you should be attractive. That should be exciting to people. They should look at you and go, whoa, I need to get to know her. I need to get to know him. So don't freak out if somebody likes you. What she said was, you ought to come to church with me. So she brought Mike to church, brought him to me, and he really enjoyed it. And he liked church, and we studied the Bible a little bit. And then he didn't really want to have anything to do with us. And so I thought to myself, all right, I've got to call this guy up. And he was love to argue, so I knew I was in for an argument. I prayed, all right, God, if Mike's open, this is the last time I'm ever calling him. And I called him up. And he said, all right, we argued for the next hour. And this was the cost for him. And this is a cost that many of us count when we become Christians, when we surrender our life to Christ and the Lordship of Christ. We're thinking about who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? Sex, all that stuff. We're thinking about it. And Mike was thinking about it. And he said, your church is weird in the way they go about dating and marriage. I said, all right, tell me about it. So and he proceeded to talk about it and talk about the boundaries that we had in our dating, uh, which we'll talk about tonight. He talked about kind of who we date, who we marry. He thought that was weird. He thought how we did it was weird. He thought everything about our dating was weird. I thought, well, that's maybe not a bad thing. Somebody from the world looking in at the church and saying, The way you do it is so different that it's weird. And I really think that that's where I wanted to start, because what's normal? And who defines normal? Is that just the world? Do you want to do what's normal and what's not working for everybody just because it's normal? Or are you okay being a little bit weird as long as it's for Christ and God's glory, right? Not just weird for the sake of being weird, but... Weird because you are radiating and transforming your life to glorify God. And you if you think about it, what is the pattern of this world? Right? The pattern of this world is in most relationships, this is a generalization. It starts with what? Getting to know each other? No. She's hot. He's hot. I want to get to know that. There's a physical, sexual chemistry or attraction. That's usually step one. Then you get into this physical or sexual relationship with somebody, because that's where it usually starts in the world. And now you decide, well, okay, now that we've been intimate, I better get to know this person. And so you begin to maybe build an emotional framework To justify the sexuality that you're already engaged in. And then if all else fails, maybe we ought to go to church and figure out our relationship. You know what I mean? Like at the last resort, God. Well, if that's the pattern of the world, then I'm okay with us being a little bit weird. Because normal is not working. And in fact, if you reversed it then I think that is the pattern that we have with God. And that's typically the way God and the world works. It's almost the exact opposite. There's a lot of similarities, but they're just out of order. God has all these things. He has an emotional framework. He has a spiritual framework. And he obviously is the designer and the inventor of sex. All right. And so God has all the pieces in place. He just restructures it a little bit differently. So I've spent... 15 of the last uh, 25 years, not in ministry, but working as a structural engineer in California. And uh, in California, we don't have nice granite that you guys have, so we don't have tunnels. We have no subways. We have no mass transit. We sort of do, but everybody's got a car and you just drive forever. Uh, But we build buildings on sand, and that's not a good structure, and in fact, we have things called liquefaction so that not only when the earthquake hits, the sand just turns to water and the building sinks. So we've got a design for that. I, I picked this picture up because this is near where I live in Irvine, California. This is the tallest building where we live. You're allowed to laugh at at us in California. We don't build very high because they fall over or they, they get wrecked. Uh, so this is the tallest building in Orange County, Irvine, California. And I want to I was a part of uh, not this project, but the one that they built as a duplicate of this. I did a retaining wall out of soil nails to build the parking structure for the next one. So I've been involved in this project, so I've got some pictures of it. But when we look at a building, especially at night, what do you see? Well, you see exactly what the architect of this building had in mind. The glass, the cladding, the exterior. This is what you would call the sex appeal of the building. Doesn't it look nice? Especially at night, right? Everybody looks a little sexier at night. (laughs) When you turn the lights on, it's not as good, but it's still pretty good, right? (laughs) This is the building during the day. It's not quite as dolled up as it is when it's out on the town, but this is the morning view of that building, right? How do you it, it, What if you decided, "I want to build a building just like that," and you went out and built a, bought a bunch of glass and started building? How would that work? Not very good. And then you thought, "Oh wait, 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 no, I, And now I need to support it from the inside, and then, oh gosh, now that we've got all the support, build a foundation for it. That's backwards. The first thing you need to do. When you were building this building, and this is the one in the background, this is the duplicate of that building they built right here. They did a 15-foot over-excavation because it's just worthless sand, and they had to recompact the dirt for 15 feet and about 20 feet in every direction just to build a foundation to support the building. So a 15-foot excavation. Now, this is where we start sometimes. When we become a Christian, this is what we need to do, and even after we're a Christian... There's a lot of stuff that's just settled in our life. Stones and things that are topsy and turby and veins and and our history and our past and maybe our parents. Maybe we've been through divorce. Uh, We may have been uh, molested growing up. We may have all sorts of things going on with what we think about relationships. What we think about the opposite sex, maybe even same sex attraction. There is so much that we've got. That sometimes it's time to dig out, haul out all that stuff. It's okay because it's going to go back, right? It's still you. God is going to begin a great work in you. But sometimes he needs to excavate it all out and then recompact it in a way that will glorify him and support the rest of your life. And when people get into a relationship and they're not really prepared for it, All the unevenness, all the rocks, all the unsettled soil, the time of testing will come and those things that you didn't even know were deep down in you, they will come out. So it is okay to be single. It's okay to be doing the hard work on yourself. It's okay if perhaps you do need to even get counseling and you need to get some help. You need somebody to help you come dig all that stuff back out, put it all back in in the right way. Because that's going to come out anyway in a relationship. So let's do the hard work of digging and recompacting. I was going to have my wife share a little bit about this uh, based on just her past experience of seeing a family.
1: Amen. Um, Well, my name is Sean. And, um, you know, when Marshall and I um, got to know each other, um, I was able to meet his family. Well, I realized we were coming from very different places. Um, I used to kind of joke, and maybe other people did too, that he, you guys know the, uh, Cle- the what, leave it to beaver? <laughs> you know that show. Okay, he pretty much had a leave it to beaver, cleaver family. So, you know, his parents was, were still married. They had sat, you know, every night at the dinner table together. I mean, later on, I noticed all the dysfunction that really was hidden underneath. But in a general sense, I mean, truthfully, his parents were amazing parents. And they built a great foundation for their children in many, many ways. So that was, you know, there was a lot of stability for him. So he was coming from a place in a relationship of, honestly, a lot of security. He wasn't super worried about whether or not I would continue to like him or not. He's kind of like, well, what's there not to like? I mean, of course I'm going to like you, you know. And um, so, but for me, I was coming from a very different place. And when I was about four years old, my parents separated. My dad was a drug addict and an alcoholic. My mom had done some um, drugs when she was younger, but when she got pregnant with me, she decided to stop, and honestly, that kind of dissolved her and my dad's relationship because she didn't want to continue in that life, and he did, so she left him. But that started a series of some other relationships in her life that my brother and I kind of got drugged through, you know, people coming into our home, uh, men coming into our home that had, you know, doing drugs in our house and things like that. Um, Even though she had left that lifestyle with my dad, still continued a little bit on. She got married, uh, uh, began to date a man um, when I was about in third grade who was an alcoholic, and he was severely abusive to her. And so from third grade until about sixth grade, I watched my mom continually be um, beat up, honestly. My respect for men was about this big. And when I became a Christian, I started coming to church when I was 18. Well, actually, I take that back. My, before that, my, my mom did get remarried to my stepdad. And even though my stepdad and I have a wonderful relationship now, and I love him so much, when I was um, 13 and he came into our life, yeah, that we did not have a good relationship. He had never had children, and he's not in his nature a very nice person so i wasn't very nice back to him and we just we would just cut each other down and yell at each other and things like that so again I was not built and there's just a good male role model was really not there so getting married when i began to you know date marshall and we were going to get married i had a lot of insecurities coming into marriage i was convinced that he would not love me forever I was convinced that we were, even though as a Christian, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, well, we're going to make it because we're disciples. Deep down inside that that stuff underneath was was the foundation was a lot of mistrust. And so having to dig those things out has been, you know, it's been time. I mean, I mean honestly, some of that did get worked on before we got married, but some of it I had to choose to deal with after we got married and to trust him and to trust him. That we were going to be okay, and so I just say that to say that I think all of us are going to come into relationships with baggage. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've been through, but we have to be willing to not let that define our relationship. And I have tried to, I have fought really hard in our marriage to not let those insecurities define our relationship and define how we're going to go forward. And you know, and by the grace of God, I have you know married somebody who who has not um, caused me to have. You know, he hasn't given me any reason to not trust him in that way. So, but I think that this concept is really true for all of us.
0: Man. Awesome. Good job, honey. You know, uh, once you build the foundation, though, it is very difficult that you can continue to go underneath and do repairs. But it's a lot easier right now, even when you're single, to excavate, recompact, and then begin to build. What's the next? Stage. here's some of the uh, this was the over excavation uh, that took place from the this is the shot from that other building here's the uh, retaining wall that I designed right there the soil nail retaining wall um, the next step is building a spiritual foundation if you want to pursue a relationship in God's kingdom building a spiritual foundation is the place to start are you attracted to that person spiritually are you attracted to their Character, their love for God, their relationship with their God, with God their, their desire to serve the, the, the kingdom of God. Just like, wow, this person is spiritual. That's a great place to start. This building has a six foot thick concrete mat slab. Uh, and so that concrete pour took about 24 hours uh, just to pour. And then how long will it take to cure? Anybody know? You can build on it after two weeks, you can begin to load it, but actually concrete will cure for the rest of its life. So even the Romans who built and invented concrete, that limestone will always continue to cure. But you're right, there's a 14-day, there's a 7-day, a 14-day, and 28-day tests that are critical. Anyway, you're like, who cares? All right. (laughs) The four engineers are like, yeah, brother, preach, you know. (laughs) I came to get relationship advice, and we've got a structural engineer presence. This is as romantic as it gets in our house, you know. Hey, honey, I got the slideshow ready to go. Look at that. Look at that concrete cure. Building a spiritual foundation is step one. Seeing each other at church and events like this. uh, Falling in love with it. Then you begin to build a healthy emotional framework. Now, this takes time. Now, with the inventions of phones, you think it's going to go faster than that? No, it still takes time, right? Them not texting you back in five minutes is not a sign that they are not interested in you. They have a life, a job, and other things going on. And so let the building of an emotional framework take its Time. Now, I'm not talking about ten years. This was built, though, in about six months. I mean, the, the, uh, this is a moment frame building here. Uh, building an emotionally healthy framework. That just takes time. And sometimes at the beginning, there's ups and downs and this, this and, and we get way too out of whack knowing just breathe deep it's going to take time. So that would be step two. Step three is sealing the deal. That's marriage. All right. Now, you might think, ah, marriage, that's just a piece of paper. What does it matter? Well, this is, anybody know what that is? That's foam. That's a spray-on fireproof. All right? And does it add any structural integrity to the building? No, it doesn't do anything structurally. But it will do everything in terms of fire and saving that building and saving lives. So, yeah, the marriage is under attack. Ah, it's just a piece of paper. We love each other. You can have a foundation. You can have an emotionally healthy framework and, and, and even not be married. But there's something about God's design and God's timing that in that time of testing, you will be thankful that you did it God's way. And so sealing that thing, sealing the deal in, in, in marriage is very important. And now these beams are sealed. They are protected. And even the Bible talks about, even in marriage, the marriage bed should be kept pure. So even in marriage, you will be tempted with uh, sexual integrity issues. It's important to seal that thing in marriage. Then, step four, make it appealing. All right, you did the over excavation. You did all the hard work. You built the spiritual foundation. You have the emotionally healthy framework that you've got now. Now that you've sealed it and fireproofed it, now comes the fun part, right? Sex. Uh, and, and that is the glass. That's what the architect designed. When they design a building, the architect could care less about what I do, right? They really could care less. Beams, columns, concrete. They never even want to hear about what I do. And I'm like, you know, let's just leave it open. You know, let's just marvel at the structure. They want to cover it all up, get rid of it, because they want to make the building appealing. And I know that sex has a tremendous pull, a tremendous appeal on our society. But if you start with the glass and then try to build that structure and then try to underpin the foundation and then grout down and fix the soil, it's going to cost you. It's a lot of money. It's better to do it the right way. And then after you're done, be a model for others to see. They built the exact same building because they loved it so much, they built another one. And that's really what we should be in the kingdom of God. We should be building strong, healthy marriages that are a light to the world. People shouldn't want to attack the institution of marriage because they see, whoa, those people did it right. What did you do? And I think sometimes we take shortcuts. We don't really ask the marriage around us, What did you do? What brought it to you? How did you know she was the one? Ask those who you see in the fellowship who have a great example. And then when you're married, don't forget to go out on a date, right? And go out on the town and dress up every now and then, all right? Don't just let yourself go. Uh, you you, you still got to go. So do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's build it right. Let's build it God's way, God's order, God's timing. We're going to take just a short break. uh, Then we're going to come back and talk about Christian dating in more detail. Amen. Amen. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you. Mike eventually became a Christian. I kind of left off on Mike there. And you know what? He didn't marry that girl from the bank, but he did get married, and he's a therapist now. And he just did on our Edge Facebook page a two week series this last Tuesday and this coming Tuesday on anxiety and depression. And so he's just been a great, great brother, great, uh, tremendous asset to the kingdom. So if you want to check out our Facebook page, it's called Edge Ministry, parentheses, Orange County. Week one is up there. Mike teaching on anxiety. Uh, so, and then this Tuesday, depression. So, some great topics. And not as fun as these topics, but a huge need in our ministry as well. Amen? All right. Are you still with us? Let's get weird. All right. Let's talk about Christian dating now. Or dating Christians. How about that? Way in the beginning. You're like, wow, how long is this going to be? We're starting in Genesis. (laughs) The Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, what some people don't often see is this is a picture of God. Adam, the first man, is a picture of God. Adam lived in paradise, surrounded by perfection, without a suitable helper. Well, that's the state that God was in before he created us, and that's the state that God remains until we are united with him. God was surrounded by paradise, and yet no suitable helper could be found for God. So he created us, the church, to be his bride. And he's still awaiting that marriage. So God is still holding out. He is not compromising his standard. He's holding out, still single, waiting to be united with us on the last day in heaven. So don't ever say, God, you don't understand. He knows. He understands. He did not want to be alone, so He created a helper suitable for Him. So if that suitable helper has been found for you, amen. If he's still out there or she is still out there, amen. Either way, we will all be united with God at some point in time. I talked last night that the longing for a helper is not a sinful longing. God longs for relationship. God longs for intimacy. I think sometimes we feel guilty even just for wanting. We feel guilty if we want to be married. We feel guilty if we want to be interested or don't feel that way. That is the sense of longing that God has for a relationship with us. Now, discontentment Satan can use against you, so be careful. But longing is okay. This was in San Pedro, California. Uh, this is Sean and I's uh, wedding. There's Brian Craig over there, Larry's son. And there's Dessa, Larry's Daughter-in-law, and uh, they were our best man and maid of honor. And uh, this was 24 years ago, uh, in this May. Um, And so uh, the Bible says that the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. All right. Interesting, right? If you look at the very first command in the Bible, It is, you are free. Isn't that a different perspective of what we see God as? Most people see God as the elimination of all your freedom. Like, I was free and now I'm here in the church. You know what I mean? I was free to do whatever I wanted. Now I'm here burdened by these rules and regulations that God hath placed on my shoulders. It's a I cannot bear. No, no, no. God's intent for us is to really set us free. Now He will create some boundaries for you. For what reason? Why does God create boundaries or limits? This is a picture of our kids. This uh, we have a daughter who's older than this. But this is Kyle and Justin. This is probably about four years ago. And uh, what are they doing? Bouncing on the trampoline. Does it look like they're having fun? Do they look sad? Do they look upset in any way? No, they're having a blast. Now, what you don't see is a brick wall here, a brick wall here. And over here is a plate glass window, which is our master bedroom. And over here is a concrete slab. How are they able to have fun? Because of this little thing right here. A net. Now, granted, they didn't have those when I grew up, and I grew up with a trampoline. And like, I feel like our parents didn't care whether we lived or died, but like this generation's parents cares a lot, you know what I mean? Do you know how many miles I logged not in a car seat with no seatbelt on, you know? We had this Jeep, like, even as kids, like we would stand, you know what I mean, on the chair just to kind of be able to see out the window, you know, you kind of turn and... And then my mom did slam on the brakes, and we had a Jeep with a metal dashboard, and I just went flying forward and got a concussion. Again, concussions were unheard of, you know what I mean? It's just put some ice on it. I fell out of the back of... We used to be able to ride in the beds of pickup trucks. How many of you have ever ridden in the bed of a pickup truck? And and then there's also some people not in this room who did not live to tell about it. I, I picked my bike up when my dad was giving us a ride and I picked my bike up with my friends in the bed of the pickup truck to kind of pretend like I was riding my bike in the pickup truck. Problem was, is the wheels, you know, were not. So I went flying out the back of the pickup truck. So it's not that my parents didn't love me. It's just that they I don't feel like they cared if I lived or died. (laughs) But because we love our children, we create some healthy boundaries for them. And it's not that we don't want them to have fun. We do want them to have fun without the dying or concussion part. And that is kind of how you have to picture God. God doesn't want to enslave you to rules and regulations. Actually, because of these nets, they go ballistic. They're able to do flips and play, you know, they're able to actually have ten times more fun because they're not worried about flying off into a brick wall. So that's God's intent to set a boundary so that actually within the confines of God's boundaries, you can have a blast and dating and marriage and and the pursuit of a mate. God is desiring it to be a blast if done within the boundaries that he will set, because he knows that when we cross those boundaries, we may die. We may die spiritually if we push and cross the boundaries that God has set. But some of us feel like God is sort of the no fun God, right? No dogs, no bicycles, no swimming. Everything you want to do, God hath made illegal, you know, in Second Leviticus. I mean, whatever it is, God is trying to take it away from you. But it's not to restrict you, it's to protect you, to allow you to experience true freedom so that you will be blessed. This is a, a picture of, uh, I think it's in, I can't remember where it is. It's in South America somewhere. It's a trail. The old trail was down here. That's the one our parents would have let us go on, you know. But so many people kept falling off that and dying that they closed it and built a new one. Now, do you think that these people are having any less fun than the people that used to go on that trail? That still looks pretty freaky to me. I don't think that handrail there is limiting their fun or enjoyment or fear. I think they're still freaked out. I like, there's one of these ladies that's just like, you know, hugging the wall there. What are the boundaries that God set in the Bible? What's interesting is in in terms of dating and marriage, I could only find two. One, much like in Genesis, Paul says of a woman, and it could be a man as well, based on the death of a spouse. They are free to marry anyone they wish with one boundary. They must belong to the Lord. And again, I think sometimes we feel like, well, see, that's the limitation. Well, not to God. To God, he's like, you're free to eat from any tree. And what did Satan make it seem like? Well, you're going to starve to death. God provided all this food for them, and he's like, you're going to starve to death if you don't eat that tree. And Satan is the same way, you know. He, he, God God says you're free to marry anybody; they just must belong to the Lord. That's that's the who. The how is not a hint of impurity or in, or of sexual immorality. So there must be purity until marriage. That's about it, folks. Those are the deal breakers with God. And what does Satan want you to feel based on those two restrictions of God? that net that's around you to keep you from cracking your skull, that he's imprisoned you by just two, setting two boundaries. And that's the thing, is that's how Satan is. He's very crafty, right? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't it amazing how Satan's going right after the one boundary that God set to make us question it? Satan's end game is to get you to question not only God's boundaries, but His love. Right? To make God seem overprotective and restrictive. To exaggerate God's boundaries to convince you that you aren't really free, but unjustly punished. And Satan wants to make the forbidden seem desirable. And so I think we're living in a culture now that kind of promotes Breaking all the rules, God's boundaries, you know, break the rules, stand apart, ignore your head, follow your heart. Well, that's great advice if you want a spiritual concussion. If you obey all the rules, you'll miss all the fun. And that's kind of what our culture is telling us now. And I know that that's what we've got to battle. And, and so we have a fear of missing out, right? Like we're missing out. The world is riding on the back of motorcycles having a good old time. And we're stuck here with 600 other people studying God's word Poor us. But that's kind of what Satan wants to make feel. And I don't mean to make light of it, actually, because I do know that there is this feeling of I'm missing out. It's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. It's been longer. I might be missing out. And I wanted Sean to come up and share a little bit as well, because I think what Satan's going to want us to do then is to compromise the two boundaries that God has set up. Well they belong to the Lord kind of. They they're they're I think they're a Christian. That's one boundary. Versus somebody who's truly a committed disciple of Christ. And then compromising the boundary of purity. And so I know that those are temptations to compromise those boundaries.
1: Yeah, I mean that was basically what I was going to share is that I do think that, and you know, obviously I don't know your ministry very well, but I know from our experiences um, with where we are, there is always a, not always, but there are times that there's a temptation with some of the uh, men and women in our ministry, you know, to compromise. And I don't think it's because they have, you know, all the time horrible intentions, but I just think it's a spiritual battle. And that's really, you know, we live in a spiritual battle, whether it comes to any part of our life. But I do think with dating, it is one of those times that it's very easy to just kind of compromise a little bit, and then it goes a little bit more and a little bit more. And I think this comes it, a lot of times in terms, well, it comes in two ways. I think it can be with trying to explore dating somebody who you aren't even convinced as a disciple. And that can come through online dating, you know, going on to some of these um, Christian dating websites, which we did a whole study on those. Oh, that's coming up. Marshall will get into that. But, you know, it, and just trying to tell yourself, yeah, but they're a really good person. and um, Or they're really kind. or And, and you know, there's a lot of kind, loving, giving, integritable people in the world. There are. I mean, the world is not this, like, place you're going oh, be rid of the world, you know. It's, there's a lot of great people out there. But you know what we talked about last night in, in um, the devotional was um, when you look at a relationship, you wanna, you've got to think to yourself, what is this gonna look like down the line? If I'm married to this person and we're, what is this relationship gonna look like in 10 years? Well, guess what? If you're not in the same place, place spiritually and you're both not committed to God in the same way, your relationship will look very divided. Trying to have children and teach them about God, trying to deal with your finances, trying to deal with the, the way that you, you know, just lead your life spiritually, it's not worth it to compromise. It feels worth it at the time. It is not worth it in the long run. And so that is one area that I think Satan really, you know, is tempting us at times. And then, um, I forgot the second part of what I was going to share, actually. I think a part in final... Okay, that's fine. Okay.
0: <laughs> Good job, Sean Mead. Quick caveat, don't watch this movie, right? Because there's one of those movies like, as a disciple, you watch it and go, oh, I forgot a lot of these scenes were in there. Sorry, sorry, turn it off. But anyway, The Graduate, 1967. This is sort of just, uh, what I'm trying to tell you is how media and Hollywood and the storybook ending, the storybook endings are always marketed to us. And what I loved, the, the cool thing about this movie was that it was a little bit more honest. Than most happily ever after endings. So you got Dustin Hoffman. He was an actor, uh, years ago. Um, still is. I, you're right, there's not a lot of millennials here, so most of us know Dustin Hoffman. Alright. He goes running in to break up the marriage of Elaine, right? And granted, in the movie, he had an affair with her mom. The guy, this guy's messed up. But that's okay. In Hollywood, you don't even have to be messed up. Everything always works out. And roll the credits, right? So he breaks up their wedding. He runs out with the bride. They go running out. They jump on a bus. Everybody's staring at them. They're in the back just laughing and having a good old time. And the movie's right about to end, right? And these two people are going to live happily ever after because of a quick, emotional, illogical decision. Because those always lead to happy ever after stories, quick, impulsive, emotional decisions. What's interesting about this movie is the camera just keeps rolling on the two of them. And within about two minutes, the reality of what they just did sinks in. And then New York's own Simon and Garfunkel sounds of silence starts playing. (laughs) And I think, you know, the the problem is, is we don't see this side of the world today because we all live on social media. And so you don't see this couple. You see this couple. Woo! You know, everything is great on Facebook. And that's what Satan is doing to you. He's convincing you all your friends are great. All the relationships are great. Everybody's marriage is great. Look at them. They're on vacation and they're going to Disney, whatever. And if we live our life like that, Satan really will do a number on you in terms of feeling like you are missing out. And if we think now, let's compromise and let's go on to Christian mingle and I'll find a Christian mate that way. Well, are these people Christian? This is the same company that also uh, supports JDate, a Jewish dating site. They really do not care what religion you're on. They just kind of really want your membership fee. Uh, In fact, of the people surveyed by Christian Mingle, only 13% of men care about marrying someone of the same faith. And yet they're on Christian Mingle and only 20% of women. Only 11% of men are getting any advice from somebody spiritual on their dating life and only 22% of women. What about having sex before marriage? Well, this is a Christian dating site, right? Only 8% of men said, no, I'm going to wait until I get married and only 19% of women. So this is Christian mingle. And I think a lot of us, you know, even in our ministry, there's a temptation to kind of see what's out there because we're not happy with what's maybe in here. And it doesn't really matter whether it's men or women or even the different ages. You might think, well, that's just the young people. No. The older you get, the chemicals are still flowing through your body, apparently. Even the people in my age group, man, they're still... Anyway, don't assume that the young people are skewing the facts. No, no, no. It doesn't matter the age, guys. Conviction is conviction. Compromise is compromise. What about moving in together? Only 7% of men said no, it's going to be after we're married to move in together. 18% of women. So if you think that, well, I'll find a good Christian man or woman on there, that's not what our convictions are from the scriptures. Not even close. So do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't compromise the boundary. That was the original Old Testament passage do not yoke an oxen with a donkey, right? According to that's not what the King James says, but we have a solution in this area. If online dating is something that you are interested in and they have a pretty proven track record. There is now at least 60 marriages and now eight kids born to Disciples Today couples. We've had several in our ministry go through DT Heart and Soul, several in their middle age. Uh, these two guys, Ronnie, had been a Christian for about 20 years. Uh, his wife, Gigi, uh, had been a disciple for at least 18 years as well. They're, uh, Ronnie's in his 50s, and I think Gigi's in her late 40s. Steve Berger uh, was 53 when he got married to... Uh, His wife, Joyce, who was 42, had been a disciple for 22 years as well. And so these are real people. These are options at DT Heart and Soul. I've got Dave here in uh, in my ministry. He's on a date this weekend uh, with Karen, who he met through DT Heart and Soul. Dave's daughter actually worked for DT Heart and Soul as a consultant for some time. So uh, it's awesome to have Dave out here on a date. The reality is we've got to be aliens and strangers to the world. It may look weird. It may look alien. It may look strange to the world. But we have to abstain from sinful desires. And I realize that it is a war for your soul. This is something that could take you out spiritually forever. And that's really where the battle is. And so according to God, they must belong to the Lord. And not even a hint of impurity. But God's saying, hey, these are just the boundaries so you don't fall off. I've created all these people, all these disciples. They'll all be in Orlando in 2020. They were at REACH. They're going to be at conferences. They're all over the world. They're all over the kingdom of God. Uh, that is really, I think, you know, if you stay within these boundaries, you then are free. And in fact, that's when you actually have to be more selective. Just because they're a disciple, to me, that may not be, the, that's the minimum standard. Those are the boundaries. You still gotta get a lot of advice, which we're gonna talk about. But what Satan wants to say is, yeah, right, good luck. You're never gonna make it. So, we're gonna take another little short break here before we get into the practicals of uh, Christian dating, alright? That'll be our last segment together. Hang with us for just a few more moments, amen? Thanks for putting up with us for a third section. Just three more to go. No, this is the last one. Oh, did we lose our handrail there? Um, one of the things that uh, the Jersey singles got last night is they got a little preview that I'm not giving you guys tonight. So... Hey, they they were the original ones that brought us out, and uh, so they got a little something-something last night. But I'm going to just give you a summary. It's okay. You uh you can read the book. I, I would really recommend this book if this is something that, you know, is on your heart, if this is in your lane right now, I want to find somebody, I really want to find God's somebody for me. Read The Sacred Search by Gary Thomas. It's a great book. It talks about... Uh, The answering the why before you look for the who, like why get married, why a relationship. And it talks about the difference between cultural reasons and biblical reasons. One of the cultural reasons is happiness. Well, I just want to be happy. Well, that's kind of what the world is telling you will make you happy. But you've got to ask yourself, how many happy marriages do you see in the world? So if happiness is the reason why, you might be picking the wrong who. Who? Uh, and, and back to our couple here. How others see our relationship, how we want our relationship, but how things really are in our relationship. Look deeper into where people are at. Look for people who you know have a really solid Christian marriage. Pick their brains. Amen? It also talks about infatuation, and, and I'll give you a little uh, key on what infatuation is uh, from last night. This is one of the nuggets from last night. Uh, Because infatuation is a real thing. It's actually a chemical-induced attack on your brain that lasts from about 12 to 18 months. And the person that you have found, you are now like creating a person that actually doesn't exist based on limited information. And infatuation is filling in all the unknown information with really good projections about them. And so what is infatuation? It literally is something that exists. And so God must have created it. So it's important that we manage it properly, which means give yourself time in the relationship to really get to know that person, uh, because otherwise infatuation will cause you to create a person that doesn't exist. They may fall short and there's the reality of who they are. But that might be the person who God designed for you to love. You might miss somebody because you've created somebody that doesn't exist. This is how you know you're in infatuation, especially now with people that text and you build a relationship so quickly and you're not even sure how the relationship's going because let me tell you, anybody can be cute, funny and spiritual on texting. And I've had people like move into our ministry because they liked a girl, they got to know each other through sort of texting and they found out like when they got in the same ministry like, oh, they were a lot funnier over text, you know what I mean? They were a lot more spiritual, you know. I thought they actually had quiet times, but maybe they were just sending me a scripture, you know. And so you're, she's creating a guy that doesn't exist. She thinks he's taking a break from work, going outside. Oh, I got a text from her. Let me, let me take a break. Boss, I'll be right back. I got to go read this. And he might be in the break room. He may be taking a break, but it's not what she thinks, right? But guess what? Even that guy can write a cute reply and throw a scripture on there. That doesn't mean he's Jesus Christ yet, okay? Infatuation is when you think you've found somebody, sisters, that is really good looking. And he's so smart. And he has just integrity. I mean, he's human. he cares for the poor. He loves people. Uh, he's funny. Everything he says is right on target. He's spiritual. He's athletic, man. He can ball. It's like, whoa, did you see him at the volleyball game, you know? And you've created a person that doesn't... Now, that still might be the person that God wants you to love, but let me give you a secret. That's not who he is. As you get to know him, you'll find out that he might not be as good-looking, actually, as you thought he was. And he may not even be as smart as you thought. Like, you thought he was smart, but he's... (laughs) And he may not have the integrity that... that... <laughs> My boy, Kobe. I didn't know where to put Jesus, because he's awesome at everything, but I just don't laugh a lot when I read about Jesus. He had his moments, but... And maybe his spirituality isn't quite... His spirituality, like his walk with God, you would start talking with other people in his ministry, and he's like, "Um, yeah, he's, just, he's doing okay spiritually, but... And he may not even be that athletic, you know. But nevertheless, that person still might be the person that God wants for you, but you've got to realize that infatuation is going to put you into a place and create people that don't exist. When you really get to know the person, you can still love those people. Amen? But just know that infatuation is real and that time is not your enemy. It is your ally. Get to know each other. Amen? (laughs) This book talks about your soulmate, you know, that Zeus split these two people apart and their whole life's work is to find your other half. Well, is Zeus the definition of now what love is all about? Uh, I don't think that there is this one magical person out there for you. I think that two people that love God, there are many options for you. And what I typically say at devotionals like this is every let's lock the doors And my prediction in this room is probably 20 happy marriages. Even though you think that he's not in here or she's not in here, if two people committed to God decide, I'm going to love you and be selfless and get to know you, I bet there is at least 20 happy marriages. And the reason I know is when Sean and I lived in the Middle East, we lived in Beirut, Lebanon for a while, and uh, we would visit that church and the church in Jordan And especially in Jordan, I mean, there is about, at any given time, about four to five people in their singles ministry. This is in a country that's 99% Muslim, so you can't even go on ChristianMingle.com and find a not a Christian that says they're a Christian. There's nobody, you know what I mean? It is, if you want to marry in the same faith, it's there in the church in Jordan. And there's usually about four or five singles. And then that ministry gets up to about six singles, and then about... Two or three marriages happen, and they're back down to about one. And then a few more people become Christians, and then they get married. And I think it's like Cheesecake Factory. Do you guys have the Cheesecake Factory here? You go to the Cheesecake Factory, and it's like, I don't even know what to eat. There's 157 appetizers. There's 462 entrees and 300 kinds of cheesecake. Like, I don't know what to eat there. But you go to In-N-Out Burger in California, the menu is cheeseburger, hamburger, fries. That's it. And I would die for one, even now. You know what I mean? So I think sometimes it's funny when I go to Jordan and say, you know, I, I just spoke in New York. There's 600 singles. Very few are getting engaged and married. They, they, it does not compute. Then when I tell them of L.A., 1,200 singles. And I talk to brothers, yeah, I'm not interested in anybody. or oh, sister, not know. There's no brothers in here. There's, other than the 500 Christian men, there's nobody. Okay, and I realize that is the feeling, but I think sometimes, guys, we're in the cheesecake factory, and you know what? There's a lot of great burgers and fries in this ministry. If you are committed to loving God and loving another person, I think if we open our eyes, we could find those people. Amen. So, read the book. Let's go now to practicals. When we talk about rules now, all right, here we go. Now, you just said there was only two, right? Who they, They're Christian and be pure. Well, it's true. But I think sometimes when we talk about best practices, best practices in our church or dating guidelines, sometimes we feel like, uh, you know, uh-oh, now we're talking about the rules. Now we're going to get legalistic. Now we're going to go back into the Stone Ages, like when you guys were Christians and you know, gentlemen were gentlemen, and there was chivalry, and we're, we're beyond that now. Well, are we? Let's talk about, the bottom line is, since we are not conforming to the pattern of the world, we're the ones that get to set the guidelines for dating. Because we are the people of God. Whatever we decide, we do. We follow. Or we just go with the pattern of the world. Like, they're inventing new ways of having relationships. Let's just see if that works, right? What could go wrong? I'll take the old school. I don't know that the new school is working. Old school, new school. Here's the thing. What does the Bible really say? Well, in the first century, they were in a bit of a dilemma. These were people that came out of a Jewish society and now had become Christians. And so how do you live as a Christian? They didn't even really know. Like, should we keep going to temple on Saturday? Should we offer sacrifices for our sin? Well, Jesus forgave us. Should we continue on with circumcision? Should we, Like, what do we do? They were a people that completely changed their faith and entered into a new covenant. And they had to just decide what being a Christian was going to look like. And so what Paul says is, Join others in following my example. Is this battery on? I can grab a wired mic if you want. You want me to get a wired one? That'll be good. Here you go. He said, Join others in following my example. Take note of those who live according to the pattern. Right? So what they did was they just created an example, a pattern, something to live by that other people could follow. And in terms of dating in our church, that's kind of what it's like. I can't give you book, chapter, verse, be home by midnight, uh, you must have four people, don't drive. We're not talking about that. But whatever we decide as a good pattern and as a best practice, let's just go with it. And so, what we're talking about tonight is just a godly pattern of setting examples that other people can follow, versus commandments. Right? Now, again, some people get very legalistic, and the minute you give a practical, they say, "Oh, see, you know, we're both going to drive, but it's going to be six hours, and you drive, and we'll drive in the cars right next to each other." And it's like, no, that's not really the spirit, the letter of the law. Don't be a Pharisee about it. However. Some people have blatant disregard for patterns and godly examples that they see in the church and are always pushing the boundaries. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody in traffic, it happens in California, where you're all going along at, you know, over the speed limit, of course, like 75 or whatever, and somebody is going about 95? Are they going to get arrested? No, probably not. Are they going to get in an accident? Maybe not. What's going to happen eventually? One of those two things is going to happen. But the other thing that I think is, man, that person cares only about themselves. They're putting everybody, including my family and my safety, at risk. So whether they get in an accident or not is really not the case that I'm concerned about. I just know that person cares about one thing themselves. And when I see people that, you know, we kind of have some established patterns and really best practices of dating in the church, and if somebody's just so blatant in their disregard of it, you know, are they in sin, are they going to fall into immorality, are they going to... Well, maybe not now, or maybe not ever, but what it makes me feel is that they just don't care what that example looks like to anybody else. And there's a sense of disregard for the example that they and, and and maybe putting others at risk who may not be able to safely drive 95 on the freeway, you know? And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. And we're going to go fairly quickly through these because what we're talking about now is a self-first versus others-first pattern. And again, I'm not book, chapter, verse. Do you get what I'm saying here? These are not commandments or even guidelines. These are just patterns, good, healthy patterns. And there's this others first pattern that does uh, nothing out of selfish ambition, considering others better than yourself, looking to the interests of others versus self first, somebody who's got selfish ambition, conceited and putting their own interests first. Okay. so again, what we're going to do is talk about some of the practicals of dating in our church culture in Orange County. Maybe they're the same. You can borrow them. But. Again, I'm not saying it has to be 90 uh, degrees this way or this way, but I would lean towards putting others first. Now, at times in dating, do you have to act in your own self-interest? Yes. If you want to pursue somebody, if you want to uh, be ambitious, yeah, that you're going to have to sometimes think about, all right, God, what do you want for me? But for the most part, we're going to put others first and use that as our pattern. Meaning going out on dates for the purpose of giving encouragement, to build a friendship with somebody, to build others up, just to really go out, have fun, get to know somebody else. Versus the self-first pur- uh, pattern, hey, the only purpose of every date is to determine if you are God's choice for me. That's the only reason. And I think that was one of the cool things about coming into this church is I started getting asked out on dates, and not that with girls that I was interested in or even building a future dating and marriage with, but we just got to know each other. We all went out. We went out in groups. We went on double dates. We had fun. And the ones that I was probably least interested in, we had the most fun. We had a blast. We'd see each other at church at the next day, and we just had fun together. took uh, A couple of the sisters took us out. We cooked dinner for them, and they were just funny about it. Like three weeks later, Uh, They brought us the empty pot that we had left in their dorm room of spaghetti and it had grown mold on it. And they wrote a card for us and stuck it in the moldy spaghetti and left it outside of our room saying thanks for the date. You kind of had to know them because they were funny and we just laughed about it. (laughs) Moldy spaghetti was their card for us after the date. We had so much fun in campus just going out, getting to know each other, giving each other moldy spaghetti pans afterwards. Others first. Hey, how about seeking out disciples who have not been asked out in a long time? Hey, ha- who has not been asked out? There's a brother in our ministry, Mike Jurgensen, uh, whose wife uh, left him. They have a special needs child. He went, He's going through a very, very difficult time in his life. Uh, and, and honestly, by time, I mean like the last 10 years have been excruciating as his autistic daughter has reached now her teenage years acts out a lot, uh, has uh, brought warranted uh, many, many, many police visits to their house because of just her rage, uh, and it's been a very, very difficult time. His wife fell away ten years ago and has been remarried, and he's just he's going through so much, and yet he's the guy who's always asking me who has not been taken out in a long, in a long time. And he just lines them up and takes them out on Saturday nights when he doesn't have uh, the week that he doesn't have his daughter. That's the kind of heart that I think God will bless versus just finding attractive people you find interesting. That's who I'm taking out. You know what? You're going to have to do that from time to time. Say, I'm interested in her. I'm taking her out. Great. What about other weeks where you can take people out who have not been out on a date in a long time? Double dates, you know, for consideration, just being in a group versus i think the current trend is let's just go out for coffee you and me that's my ten dollar way of seeing if you're my future spouse or not i don't want to spend a lot of money or time i just want to spend 15 to 20 minutes with just you to see what you know again maybe there's a time and a place for just going out and getting coffee amen that's awesome but if that's Always your pattern. Just find and find and find her. She's my next coffee one-on-one. If that's the only mode of dating that you are in right now, I would say that's yourself first versus really taking other people out for encouragement. Go on well-planned dates. Like, put some thought into it. Plan it out versus sort of last minute. Now, again. I've been guilty of this, man. Me and uh, Craig Welbrock, we were roommates, and Sean and, and uh, Jen were roommates. And there were times when Craig and I would pick them up and shut the car doors and sort of reconvene at the back of the car like, all right, what do you want to do, you know? We didn't always plan it out. But in the most for the most part, know what you're doing. If you're going on a five-mile hike and the sister is in heels, you did not communicate properly the date going out just for fun friendship like this is going to be fun not pressure packed versus you zeroing in on all these awkward conversations like expose your life you know how many people have you you know what i mean you're doing a light and darkness study on the date and it's like no 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 this is this is like for fun right just encourage that person and I love watching our ministry go out on dates. This is one of our New Year's parties. We get it going in Orange County. We plan these amazing New Year's. Uh, this is some pictures. I just love watching disciples going out with each other. This is this is Denny's after New Year's at about 3 in the morning, you know. Just watching people go out. This is the next day. Uh, just having fun, being together, building men-women relationships for the purpose of getting to know each other and encouragement. Amen? Uh, let's talk about in pursuing an interest. I can't remember what your part was. Do you remember? Is it now or no? Alright. Alright, we're gonna have to fly through this part.
1: You no, know, I mean, mine is really brief. It was just more talking about the importance of really, oh, sorry, the importance of gathering people around you. Oh, no, no, that's
0: coming up. Oh. <laughs> now I remember. <laughs> it's coming up, honey, it's coming up. All right, let's talk about pursuing an interest. Again, to do this, you've got to have some ambition, right? But there's two kinds of ambition, earthly ambition and heavenly ambition. Read James chapter 3, and you see the list of earthly ambition. There's bitter envy, selfish, boasting, denying the truth, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, disorder, every evil practice, Versus heavenly ambition, which is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good, fruit, impartial, and sincere. And that's really uh, what we're talking about here. In terms of pursuing somebody, you have to, of course, exhibit some ambition. But you've also got to leave room for God. You've got to be submissive to what God wants. You've got to be considerate uh, of what maybe God's will is in this versus just you totally being in control, forcing the issue. And so a heavenly, ambitious person is surrendered through, through prayer, leaving room for God to reveal if this interest is mutual versus just taking control. The relationship is now the goal. You're on a quest. Right. Heavenly ambition. Communication is purposely limited. Control infatuation. Talk at church, other functions like that versus. Communication is constant, constant texting, Facebook, phone calls, multiple times a day. If we're not careful, that can be the pace that builds an unhealthy emotional framework and just doesn't give you the time. Time together is purposely limited. You may want to spend every minute together, but let it progress gradually versus, hey, the only way we get to know each other is spend all this time together. Weasel dates are common. Uh... Brian Craig, i got to tell you, your son was the king of weasel dates. Uh, we always used to give Brian a hard time. Somehow, they lived in this tower of dorms called Williams Village at Colorado. And it just worked out. Brian and Dessa were leading a Bible talk together. And they got put on the same floor while they were dating. I mean, so they were like the weasel date kings of our ministry. And they were our wingman when we started liking each other. But... Uh, you know, it's great to spend time together, but do it in environments where uh, it will not lead one another into uh, temptation. Heavenly ambition. Going on well-planned dates, you know, to get to know each other. But even if you're pursuing an interest, that doesn't mean you shut off every other sister or brother in the ministry. Right? I'm done with all of you. I found the one. She doesn't know it yet, but she will soon enough. You know, one of the cool things about Sean and I is we were constantly going, even when we kind of knew we liked each other, we would still go out with other people. We would take other people out for purposes of encouragement and just getting to know other sisters. Uh, And I think that was attractive to me that she was, I didn't feel it as disloyal at all. I just felt like she's somebody who wants to be spiritual, wants to encourage other people. Versus fixating on one person, right? Prayer walks, lunch dates, coffee. It's amazing how spiritual guys become when they like somebody. You know, it's like, now you're having prayer walks. You know what I mean? Your first one in three years is with that sister you like, you know? Come on, fellas. Before seriously pursuing, seek advice. From other people, this is when you want to build an open system. When you're pursuing an interest, don't build a closed system where all the communication is just between the two of you. Versus feeling like, oh, advice, man, that's old school. I'm just going to talk right to him, share my heart, tell them how much I love them and want to spend the rest of my life with them. And just see if she's interested in me after that or see if he's interested. Remember, you know what's best, right? No, no, no. This is where Sean was going to come and just talk about asking for advice, right? I love people that don't know what advice is, but think they know what advice is. You know what I mean? Like they've got the whole scenario mapped out and they just want you to give them permission to do it. It's like, no, 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 that's not advice. That's asking for permission. Or they view advice as their get out of jail free. Like, I got advice. You know what I mean? It's like, wait. From who? You know what I mean? Well, I'm not going to tell you. And, and that's always suspicious to me. Hey, I got advice from someone that doesn't really know me that well that lives in, uh, you know, Madagascar. But they said it was fine that we... So, so I've got my... I got advice card. And it's like, how about getting advice from someone that knows you and might actually give you advice and know the whole situation in its context? I love the I Got Advice card people because I can see they're the ones going 95 miles an hour down the freeway, serving in and out of traffic, holding their I Got Advice card out the window. so
1: funny. Amen. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it it obviously is really, really important to just let people into your life. And one of the things that um, we really believe in um, that Marshall I've seen as a pattern that has been very helpful is when you have just an open system in your own relationship with God and in your potential you know interest and especially when you're dating and what that means is that you're not just in this closed system where you are giving you know you're just nobody else is really involved and when that happens it doesn't bring about godly patterns because you're just too involved. You're too wrapped up in it. But when you allow other people into your life, it allows a lot of that outside influence to come in. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to give you great input. I mean, certainly that's not always true. But I think that God works through it when we allow ourselves to be that way. And when it, the same thing happens with dating and even into marriage. If you do not have people in your life, you'll see the relationship either not go well and become unspiritual or become very stunted because there's no there's no room for it to grow. So I think that's really, really key. Um, you know, I actually dated two other people in the church before I found Marshall. So and they actually were spiritual people. So it wasn't like they weren't spiritual. But I think that I, in that time, I always had a lot of people involved in those relationships, like opening myself up, you know, to how is this going and is this somebody I should be looking at potentially in the future and you know I'm really grateful to, ha- to have had that because I certainly didn't have the um, ability to always have a good perspective and you know one of those brothers is not even in our church anymore and so I'm obviously very grateful that that relationship didn't turn into something more because I my life would be very different one of them is still in the church and I you know is doing fine but is certainly not somebody I was compatible with in many ways, including spiritually. And so I just think that, you know, ha- having that conviction at heart, I don't care if you are 19 or if you are 64, it doesn't matter. We need people in our life at every stage, and it doesn't have to be somebody who's been there before. It can be somebody who just has a clearer, clearer perspective than you do, given the fact that they're not in the situation. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. All right, we're going to kind of wrap it up now, and I do want to uh, talk for a minute to the dating couples in here, all right? If you are now at this relationship, there are still some healthy patterns that you need to have, and what governs healthy dating relationships. You know, uh, Paul says, "...everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy uh, over you, but I want you to be wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil." So we already talked about evil, impurity, those kinds of compromising situations. All right. In that, just be innocent. Don't go there until marriage and then go there. Silence. What's he talking about? But what about everything else? Well, you still have to be wise. Right? It's not always just a matter of temptation, sin, sex versus, okay, everything else is okay. No, no, no. Even the good part, even just dating, even you still have to use wisdom. So wisdom is still the governor over the good things that you might have in your life, right? It's not just that you have to get rid of the bad. Well, you also have to be wise about what is good. So let's talk about wise versus unwise patterns of steady dating couples, right? Have a special date. I don't know about the time, but maybe once a week where you look forward to it versus seeing each other every day during all free time always seen together as a couple right they start dating and suddenly like the whole ministry is a blur around them and it's just the two of them right okay the people feeling convicted or like elbows being thrown right now i don't know You know, at church, hey, focus on visitors, studies. There's people coming in. Like You can study the Bible. You still have a purpose of go make disciples, not just go be fruitful and multiply, right? There's other commands you can focus on at church versus just clinging together in the fellowship, even, you know, kind of oblivious to the needs of the ministry. A great dating couple in your ministry should be an asset, not a liability, right? Communication may be frequent, but again... Try to limit it. Don't just be like all the time. Guess what? The more you talk, the more time arguing, texting, fighting, resolving, I'm sorry, and just meaningless drama. If you're communicating that much to where you're just always fighting and stuff, you just know you're progressing at an unhealthy pace in your communication. Hey, communication pure. Season it with salt. If you want to talk about more vulnerable situations, and you guys are going to have to if you approach the possibility of engagement, and maybe this is the one, there are going to be some uncomfortable discussions about your life, your past, your history, etc. Okay, get advice about those things versus, you know, talk about anything and everything, discuss dating, marriage, how many kids do you want, who did you sleep with in the past, no topic off limits, I've seen people just going into some unprotected places in conversation way too soon without advice versus really being able to handle that in a mature way. It still might be the same conversation and the same topic, but done where God's blessing is on it because you've sought advice on it. Amen. Uh, Not putting yourself in tempting situations, just being situationally wise uh, versus assuming you can handle any situation late night in the car. Come on over. Uh, vacations together I've seen people on dating relationships like that's why I'm on Facebook so I can find out who in my ministry is at Hawaii together or New York or whatever like didn't they just start dating really? my wife and I have never been to Hawaii but I love the we're both adults I'm like yeah that's usually the people that you know consenting adults that's who gets into trouble sometimes you know don't give me though "we're both adults." Any of us, including people who are married, do not put yourself. I mean, if me as a as a married man, I still have to be situationally wise when it comes to sisters, when it comes to women, co-workers, etc. I have to be situationally wise. It's not. It should be no different for uh, those of us who are single. Amen. Absolute purity. Uh, no. No. Not being affectionate that requires people uh, to, to be tempted in their purity versus this unwise pattern of an ever-increasing level of quote-unquote innocent physical affection until it leads to impurity. Uh, so here's kind of the, the pattern of the world. They really do not seek much advice until they need professional advice. Here's my advice to you. If you're going out on dates, get some advice. If you're pursuing an interest, get more. If you're steady dating, get a lot more. If you want to get married, get tons more advice, and then when you get married, get constant advice. So your pattern should not just decrease. Oh, I got this now. I'm in I know what's best. That should be the trend, including your prayer life, right? Uh, now again, don't be overrighteous. Don't be overwise. Don't wear yourself out. These are best practices. All right. It's not trying to be one without the other. I understand if you had coffee with somebody today, don't feel guilty. Oh, I know I broke one of the commandments of the Levitical dating hood of our church. No, no, no. Don't worry about it, guys. Don't be legalistic about it. But I'm just saying be wise. Think of others first. Think of the example that it sets. Live out a godly pattern. Uh, have a balanced approach to dating. Uh, and so here are the discussion questions. Thanks for hanging with us through this whole time. I know this part of it was very helpful in Orange County, and we talked with Beam and Nicole, and they really wanted us to hit these practicals. Uh, and, and so uh, I know that this part of it is got a lot of got technical, uh, but hopefully you you saw some of the cool best practices here. But again, is it a balanced approach? Is your tendency to be self first, cavalier, even rebellious? Or are you maybe too legalistic, too cautious, too passive? Uh, try to be, you know, somewhere in the middle where you realize you set an example, be godly about it. How do you view the church's best practices or guidelines? Have you seen great examples of dating and marriage in the church? Do you see room for improvement and changes? Are you discouraged by what you see? I think it's important to be honest about what we're seeing in the church. But the bottom line is, this is our. The, we are the people of God. Right, The pattern, the example that we set, let's imitate it. Let's decide we're not going to be like the world. We're not going to be, uh, according to that pattern, building glass houses and watching them crumble because we built it out of sequence with God's plan for our life. Let's try to do it God's way, and let's trust that God will bless it. Amen? So grateful to have been able to be with you guys. Thank you for putting up with us for this entire time.
1: Toy, toy, toy.